Hey friends, it's me, Amber, here with another somewhat spontaneous solo episode. I'm going to be sharing about my recent trip to the UK, to Britain, and talk about why I call it Britain instead of the UK. Um, Yeah, I did some sharing on Instagram and my stories, and I threw up a poll asking if folks would like a podcast episode about it, and 99% of people, over a thousand people, said yes. So here it is. Just going to be speaking. I don't have any notes written out, and I guess I'll go chronologically. So the trip was me and my daughter, who was in her last two weeks of being 15 on the trip. She turned 16 on our first full day back. We arrived home at 1 a.m. on her 16th birthday. And then she went right back to school two days after that, too. Um, And yeah, for for years now, I've been wanting to take her to one of our ancestral homelands. And we had talked about France quite a bit. But when it occurred to me back in May that like we might be able to pull this off this year you know after all the restrictions with COVID and everything I really didn't know when we'd be able to do that and for many many years before that I didn't know if I'd ever be able to afford a trip like this you can listen to episode 92 for more on how I afforded it but yeah I was like late May and I was like oh shit I think we can go I think it's time to do this trip and basically Britain had just dropped all restrictions and so that's why we chose to go there instead of that. We had a few other countries in mind too, and places around the world we could go, but Britain made it easy for us by dropping those restrictions. And I jumped on it and it, I think was so fortuitous looking back because we have ancestry all over the British Isles, um, Scotland, England, Wales, Ireland and the Isle of Man. We did not go to Wales, Ireland, or the Isle of Man. England and Scotland is where we went, but I absolutely can't wait to go to those places someday. Um, So as, you know, as the time was approaching, first of all, I booked a day at Stonehenge, or not a day, it was two hours, which was not enough time. But Stonehenge, Avebury, and West Kennet Longbarrow, I'll talk about those places if you're not familiar with them. And so I like, in Spotify, I searched, I think for Avebury, wanted to learn more about that. And this wonderful podcast popped up, um, Love Letter to the British Isles with Neil Oliver, who has since become one of my favorite people on the planet. He's an archeologist and just a wonderful storyteller, has the most beautiful Scottish accent you have ever heard. Um, And just passionate, loves these ancient sacred sites. And so the more I listened to this podcast, the more I was like, oh my gosh, like I've wanted to go to these places for as long as I can remember. And again, it just feels so fortuitous and lucky that the COVID restriction landscape is what finally funneled me there. So yeah, we got um, expedited passports, pulled the whole trip off in about two months. Basically, once I started looking at flights and stuff, uh, tours started being advertised to me. So I didn't even know like these little tours were a thing and they were so awesome. Anytime now that I am going anywhere, really far away outside of my comfort zone i will look for these kinds of tours so the first one was a five-day tour in the scottish highlands and i've wanted to go to the scottish highlands for a very long time and so that was the first thing i booked and it was leaving from edinburgh so obviously then we're going to go to edinburgh which ended up spoiler alert being my favorite place on the trip i i fell so in love with that city it was emotional. Um, and then my daughter said she'd always wanted to go to London. And so there, like the trip fell into place. And, you know, I did not want to drive on the wrong side of the road, which was absolutely the right call. So we did need to be in city centers where we could utilize um, public transportation and then get where we needed to go. You know, I figured there must be a train between London and Edinburgh. There was. And so that's kind of how the trip fell into place. Like, I didn't use anyone's help. I just followed <laughs> what was being advertised to me and it, it worked out. Um, so we flew into London on August 1st 
flew out of Sacramento through Phoenix and the Sacramento flight was super delayed. So we fucking ran through the airport at Phoenix, like sweating, heaving. I mean, me at least, you know, she's 15. Uh, got to the gate just in time. And when we arrived at Heathrow the next afternoon, our luggage was not there. I, it was kind of dawning on us and the two other parties who had also had connecting flights in Phoenix that they barely made that, oh yeah, you know, if we had to run through the airport to get there, it makes sense that our luggage didn't make it. Um, so, I mean, the first guy we talked to was like, it'll be here tomorrow. Again, spoiler alert, it wasn't there tomorrow. We did not end up having our luggage for the entire trip. Um, so we spent four nights in London. I'll talk more about the luggage saga as we go along. And, you know, it sucked because a lot of those nights I had to, or not those nights, but the hours there, I was like on the phone, on talking to people on my phone, filling out forms, and then having to go shopping to replace our shit rather than like doing what we wanted to do. You know, it's okay. It turned out we did end up reunited with our luggage on the very last night. So, you know, at least we came home with our stuff, but not before having to spend a bunch of time dealing with it and buying stuff. And um, luckily the Airbnb we stayed at, and if you're an Airbnb owner, please be this person, was stocked with basic food essentials. The one we stayed at in Edinburgh later had not one morsel of food, not even coffee in the kitchen. I've never seen that before. Um, They had, converters for the outlets for you know american stuff which i was so grateful for because of course we had those in our luggage really nice ones um and just like essentials it was which was just so helpful i love i love that guy i love those people um so we woke up on the first morning yeah i'm just gonna tell it chronologically and (laughs) so silly we after dealing with the luggage all the night before and then we just sort of like luxuriated in our flat in putney which was really sweet i had chosen it because the review said that it was really close to the train line the bus station and uh, the underground so all three of the public transportation routes we might need to use were really in walking distance which was a great decision on my part that really worked out we had gone out to dinner the night before, had some pizza. It was fun. We were you know, excited to be somewhere so new and so different. Uh, a few people had told us, they're like, okay, you know, what you need to do from here is just get, walk to the train, get on it, get off at Waterloo, and then you're in um, Westminster and you can do Westminster Abbey and Buckingham Palace and Big Ben and see the Thames and all that. So the next day, our first full day there, we're like walking to the train station and we get there and a bus pulls up and we're like, oh, perfect timing. And we get on the bus and <laughs> this is embarrassing to admit, like five minutes later, we were like, wait, weren't we going to get on the train? <laughs> we just got on the bus because it was literally right in front of the train station, the bus station. And the bus just pulled up and we were like, oh, great, this is it. We'll, we'll get on and get off at Waterloo. And then we realized like, oh, God, we don't know where we're going. So we got off on the next stop and found ourselves in Wimbledon, which everything was super pricey and expensive. And we were like, oh yeah, it's like fancy tennis place, right? It was very different than where we'd been staying in Putney. The homes were like so gorgeous. So this again was sort of fortuitous because I was like, okay, we need to just call an Uber now. Like we don't have Uber where we lived. I had to download the app and like learn about how it works and everything. Um, I was like, I'm just going to see which one of the places we wanted to visit here are the closest and we're going to go there. And it turned out to be the Museum of Natural History, which I was stoked because I really wanted to go there, whereas she was kind of like, I don't know, whatever. But because it was close and I was like, I'm not wanting to spend a bunch of money on Ubers, um, you know, she agreed. We went there. Oh, my gosh. When we turned the corner and pulled up in front of the Museum of Natural History, we both of our jaws dropped. Look it up if you have not. Natural History Museum in London. It's like a full block wide. It's it's like a castle to the eyes of an American who's not used to gorgeous architecture all over Europe. Um, it was built in the 18... Oh, I forget. I was just reading about it yesterday. Built in the mid-1800s, though. I think maybe it opened in the 1870s. It was designed to be a cathedral to nature. It is freaking gorgeous from the outside, even more spectacular from the inside. It has, it like lives inside of me now, this architecture. I've been dreaming about it since we got back. 
And so it was cool because she was like, what? You know, super impressed when we when we pulled up and I was happy that she was happy. Um, it was really busy. You know, when we booked this trip, it was just, again, last minute. I wanted it to sort of be around her 16th birthday. Obviously, we need to be back in time for school. Um, I would not book in August again or July. <laughs> and all of the places we went were just crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'm from touristy places. Like, I should have known to think about that. But I didn't. And it turned out fine. But I would not go in July or August again to any of these places. Um super long line to get in it was just like crazy and we ended up going in on the side entrance where there's immediately a stegosaurus it's free stegosaurus skeleton and then this like cool escalator going up like through this planetary decor and just i was just immediately so impressed with the quality of the museum displays so this place houses, most of it is, you know, underground or out of reach in vaults, not on display, but over 80 million items of nature. It's incredible. And just so many, it's like, I think it's probably like the, the central hub for natural specimens in the whole world. It must be, I can't imagine there's a place with more or like better scientists and studies going on. The geology and gem and mineral displays were incredible. I could have spent all day. I want to go back someday and spend like at least two days in this museum. Um, but then we walked into where people who come through the front entrance walk into first, which is like the main hall. It's called Hints Hall. Oh my gosh. It's just incredible. I mean, again, look it up. Oh, and I have photos of all of this on my Instagram. This would all be from the first two weeks of August 2022 at Mythic Medicine. Did a whole, you know, 10 slide post on Natural History Museum. So first of all, there's a blue whale skeleton hanging from the ceiling. Blue whales are and always have been the animal that my soul most resonates with. Um, she's a young female who washed up on the shores of England again in the 1800s. Her name is Hope, but just oh, this gorgeous whale skeleton and then the architecture of the hall that you're standing in. I mean, it's just breathtaking. Um, I won't. I won't go on and on about all the things at the museum, but it's incredible. And again, I think it would take at least two days to really see things. And if you want to read every plaque, which I do and which I did not get to do because my companion was at a different pace than me, um, maybe even more than two days. But the other part of the museum that really stands out to me is the hall of um, ichthyosaurs because my almost six-year-old now daughter Nixie is just obsessed if you've follow me on Instagram, you've seen this like obsessed with fossils, which has been so much fun and really into Mary Anning, who was a woman in England who first discovered ichthyosaurs, plesiosaurs, um, collected a bunch of ammonites. She's now considered the mother of paleontology, but was completely ignored for, you know, over a hundred years because she's a woman, wasn't allowed to be part of the clubs that like all the early paleontology dudes were part of back then, but they would come to her cottage door to ask her questions. There's a few really good kids books on Mary Annie, which is how we first found out about her, this book called Dinosaur Lady. Um, and the Natural History Museum has really come to honor Mary and put her back in her rightful place in history. And so there's you know pictures of Mary and there's her actual like the first ichthyosaur that she found the fossil and it's just a really cool very large again beautiful room and I can't wait to take Nixie when she's older I think I'll wait till she's reading so she can read all the plaques and all the rooms we go into on her own. Um, yeah, so I I like can't wait to get back to the Natural History Museum. I didn't really love London. It's way too many people for me. <laughs> Um, and getting around, like learning to navigate public transport. Although now I think I got it, but you know, took the whole three days we were there and some very close calls. But oh my gosh, I I hope I'm back in that museum again in my lifetime. Um, and that, that was about all we could fit in for that one day because of our travel mishap. And then we had to go shopping. You know, we realized, oh, we're not getting our luggage today. So we did that. We went shopping and we just walked more around Putney and had dinner again. And that was fun. Um, so the next day was our sacred sites 
tour. This is just what I'm calling it. Um, I had originally booked just a tour out of London to Stonehenge. So I had been thinking like after I booked, I was like, wait, how, like how close to London is Stonehenge? Can we get to Stonehenge from London? Can I go to Stonehenge on this trip and fulfill a lifelong dream? And uh, I totally could. There's a company called Viator, V-I-A-T-O-R. We did a number of their tours on this trip. Um, some of them are just walking tours around cities, but this one was like, you know, many hours away in a, a little shuttle bus. And and then a, a woman who saw that I was going there, I think an Instagram follower messaged me and was like, you should really go to Avebury too if you can. It's, you know, a less known standing stone spot um, and it's not roped off like Stonehenge's. And so then I looked again and there was another tour Avebury Stonehenge and West Kennet Longbarrow. And so I canceled the Stonehenge tour, did that tour. The cool thing about Viator is every tour we sign up for at least, they didn't charge you until a day or two before it. So you could cancel up to the last minute basically, which we did a number of times. I really loved that. Cause you know, when you're traveling, you don't know what's gonna happen. I really learned that on this trip. So we got up early the next morning and tried to figure out the bus situation realized we weren't going to make it on the bus called an uber again anyway got there in time oh my gosh so exciting getting on this little bus there were probably like i don't know 16 of us or something i started having tears roll down my cheeks as we pulled out of london just realizing like i'm doing it i'm going to these places so we started at west kennet longbarrow i knew all about this place by this point from listening to um, Neil Oliver's love letter to the British Isles and this place is awesome too because it's not it's not regulated at all there's no gate there's no person standing there you just pull over on the side of the road get out of your car and walk up to it so it's a Neolithic tomb Um, I'm not going to be able to give you like all the dates and correct information about these sites you can look them up and of course I'll link to Neil's podcast below but it's a Neolithic tomb dug into the earth and it's open. You can go into it. <laughs> so amazing, actually, to be standing in there. Um, gosh, all of these spots. I want to spend more time in all of these spots. I would love to spend time there alone. It's open. Like people go and spend the night there and shit. And I would love to do that. It's really beautiful. And and from there to right across the road that's there now, you can see Silbury Hill, which you can also learn about that from Neil Oliver or anywhere else. Um, it's It just kind of looks like a big hill. It's not that impressive to look at, but it's actually the size and shape of the Great Pyramid. It's not the shape. It's not, you know, a pyramid. It's a hill now, but it started out being like a layered cake. And the amount of time and energy and effort it took to build that is incredible as with all of these ancient sacred sites so it's actually when you learn about it like really impressive but it doesn't look that cool but it's right across from west kennet Longbarrow, and i have photos of most of these not silbury hill i don't think but the other three places we went to this day again on on my instagram from early august 2022 uh, it was powerful being there i loved it and there's nettle growing everywhere there's yarrow. i picked a yarrow from on top of the burial chamber and pressed it in the book I had with me. And so it's, it's my bookmark now. Um, I think there was an, I saw an elder tree somewhere on, on that day. I think it might've been there too at West Kennet Longbarrow. That was, it's powerful to go into the earth like that, you know, and to know this was a burial tomb, like the bodies of the ancestors were put in here. It was a ritual space. Um, after that, the thing is with these tours, and I'll talk about this more with the Highlands, Scottish Highlands part of it, is it's quick. You're like in and out. You see the spot, you take the pictures, you go. I would really like to somehow work it out so that I could spend more time at all these places in the future. But again, I'm not willing to drive on the wrong side of the road and put my life and others in danger. So I don't know exactly how to make that happen in the future. But we went to Avebury after that, and Avebury is darling. I, I said I think it felt it felt like a hug from like a universal mother to be there. So it's actually three standing stone circles, but in modern times, people didn't even realize that until there was warplanes flying overhead during World War II, um, because they are so big. 
these, these circles are so big and, you know, like Stonehenge, many of them have fallen. And like Stonehenge, we don't really know, we don't know the purpose. We'll never know the purpose. We can make lots of guesses and it's really fun to think about that. Um, there's a lot I don't know about Avebury too. I have a book about it, but I haven't read it yet. Um, but you have, like West Kennet Longbarrow, you're allowed to just walk right up to the stones. They're not they're not roped off like it's Stonehenge. And so that was really cool. It was raining and cold at that point. And my daughter was kind of, you know, she's just always a few steps ahead of me everywhere we went on this trip. I didn't really get to like linger or drop in the way I would like to in the future. But it was it was cool. We had a lot. Of, it was a beautiful town. Sweetest, sweetest little town. Really cute little shops. We each got a ring that feels really special to us there. Um, there's a a little pub that has one of the tables is a well that goes down, I think, 80 something feet in your so it's a glass glass tabletop and you look down into the well and it's got all these plants growing up inside it. So it's very green in there. It was really cool. And they also in Avebury have this little room where there's fresh milk from nearby cows. And so you can pay to get a little water bottle if you don't have your own like our tour guide brought his own because he's like I love this thing at Avebury I always bring my water bottle to fill it up fill it up with milk so you pay for your bottle you pay for the milk dispenser and then they have different syrups so you can make it like you know milkshake kind of so we had got some chocolate syrup in there and it was so good and it was really fun like I've never seen that anywhere else you know from local cows um and we got some cool little books at a bookstore there too and then it was time for Stonehenge and you know a few people had told me that Avebury was better than Stonehenge that Stonehenge would be probably underwhelming I'd heard people say Stonehenge was underwhelming um that was not my experience at all Stonehenge was so powerful so so I don't know, unbelievably special, powerful, powerful. I mean, I think it was it was built to be powerful, right? These giant stones and these trilithons, the two with the one going across the top. It's just like it's like mm, like your Neolithic ancestors did this without any tools, any big engineering tools meant to move rocks weighing thousands of tons. Um, but what I really felt at Stonehenge more than anything, and I did not expect this at all, was love, like overwhelming, benevolent love that almost knocked me backwards. Again, it was just so powerful. And even though it is roped off, there's at one point you can you can get pretty close like you're there, you know, you are at Stonehenge. I would love someday to get closer. I know it's open at the solstices. I think it might be open at the equinoxes too. And I think you can pay. You can pay for like a special tour where you're allowed to go beyond the ropes, I heard. Um, it's amazing being there. Of course, we took photos. Of course, they're on Instagram. And, you know, the one thing we do know for sure about Stonehenge and so many of these other Neolithic sites is that they're aligned with the sun on the solstices. Like that's the one thing we know for sure. And that's a powerful thing to know. And so there's, there's the heel stone that stands outside the circle, but is, is aligned with, I think it's the setting sun on the winter solstice and the rising sun on the summer solstice. And there's a little plaque there showing you how that works, but the heel stone sort of anchors it, anchors the sun <laughs> and how it's going to come and shine into, into the circle. Um, and so also there, you know, of course, there's a gift shop, which they had probably the best collection of books I've ever seen, if you're interested in Neolithic sites of Britain. Um, and then all the, you know, funny little tourist tchotchkes that you can imagine. But then there's also basically a museum there. I think it's called the Exhibition, and it has a bunch of archaeological artifacts. When you first walk in, there's this full 360 screen surrounding you that you're standing in it shows you what it would have looked like before it became a ruin it shows you what it would look like to be inside it with the solstice sun setting rising it was really powerful really beautiful like so well done 
um, we were at the end of our two hours at the time I stumbled upon this exhibition so I didn't have nearly as much time as I wanted to but it answers all the questions who built Stonehenge how did they do it where did the rocks come from all that kind of stuff of course there's also tons of books out there you can read and Neil Oliver has a podcast episode about Stonehenge so that day that day took 10 hours um, away from London so that was you know all we did on that day and so okay here's another thing with our luggage being lost we have two new products in the shop now and i was really excited about bringing our new oil with us so it's a mugwort and st john's wort oil if you listen to the mugwort episode you heard my whole you heard the idea for this like click into place um i really wanted to take that oil and photograph it at these sacred sites and have that be like the our new oil photos you know and the day before we left, so I've also been working on a new earth essence. We've had two that we've sold for many years, but this, I think it was June, I got so motivated and so inspired to make this new earth essence. I've actually been wanting to make an essence of this beautiful purple flower that's rare. It's endemic to the serpentine soil of California where we live and you know only blooms for a few weeks every year. For years, I've been wanting to make an essence of it. This year, I think it was June, I was just like, this is it, today's the day, this, mm, <laughs> stars are aligning, I'm making this essence today. It's called Bridges Brodea, um, it's just, well, you can see it if you go and check out the, the label or the product listing, you can see it on the label, like behind our logo, it's a really special, special flower, and the whole formula for this essence came to me that day. I made everything for it. And we had just gotten the labels back from our graphic designer. And, you know, I had been thinking like, okay, I'm going to make that essence when we get back from the trip. The essence is a post-trip product. I made the essences, but we're going to like put them into bottles and add the elderflower liqueur that we're using for this one and get them all labeled and set up in the shop after the trip. But the day before the trip, I was like, you know what? I feel like I need to make just one bottle of this essence for myself to bring on this trip, just one. And we never do that. We always make them in batches, you know, but I just mixed up one little one ounce bottle for myself, put the Bridges Brodea essence in it, the Mugwort Flower essence in it that I had made, and the Abalone essence that I made that same day as well, along with spring water and the elderflower liqueur. Put the label on it. They're so beautiful. You have to check them out. A link in the show notes, of course. Um, and I decided to bring that one in my carry-on, which turned out to be a fateful decision because I did not put the new St. John's Wort and Mugwort oil in my carry-on. I had it in my checked baggage, which again, we did not have with us for the entirety of the trip. We got our checked baggage back on the last night of the trip. So which you guys, you know, I, I body oil almost every day. So I did not have body oil with me on this trip. Okay. I'll talk more about that at the end. Luckily I did have this magnesium lotion that again, for some reason I put in a really small container and I was like, I'll bring it on the plane. Like maybe it'll help me sleep on the plane, you know, rub it into like my neck or something. Um, so there went my, my plan to photograph the, it's called cosmic convergence, St. John's wort and mugwort herbal body oil in front of these sacred monolithic sites. But I had the new earth essence with me because I had brought that on the airplane. So I was like, I guess I'll bring this with me on these sacred sites day and we'll photograph this, you know, at these places. And I, again, I think this was just such a fortuitous thing that happened because I was dosing myself with the essence all day. And it wasn't until the end of the day, rereading the label, which I had written, you know, a couple months earlier that I realized like, oh <laughs> i think this essence helped me have this powerful overwhelming feeling of benevolent love of the ancestors standing there a few feet away from the rocks at stonehenge so the essence is called kinship woven in deep time the description on the label reads our fates are interwoven with our ancestors and descendants through unfathomable eons and countless lines let us remember who we are in relationship to our people and to all of life. And the Bridges Brodea I put in there for kinship constellations, the Mugwort for multidimensional knowing, and the Abalone for oceanic love. Again, I, I was not thinking about 
those, my intentions behind each of those essences being part of this formula that day. It tastes really good because of the elderflower liqueur and I was just enjoying taking it. And, um, you know, now that I'm reading to the multidimensional knowing. So when I first took the essence that morning on the shuttle on the way out of London, I asked to be able to feel my ancestors that day, not think about them, not have an intellectual insight, but just to have a feeling of them in my body. And that is exactly what happened standing at Stonehenge. A love that again felt so powerful, it was about to knock me over. So, so grateful, even though I didn't have my beloved and much needed body oil with me to help calm my nervous system throughout my travels, I did have this with me. I'm so glad I listened to that voice inside me that told me to make the one bottle of this essence the day before we left, and then I put it in my carry-on instead of my checked baggage. Um, so that's available at the shop right now, link in the show notes. And let me tell you too about the Cosmic Convergence, St. John's Wort and Mugwort Oil. So eons of folklore associate St. John's Wort with the sun and Mugwort with the moon. And both plants were used for their physical slash emotional and magical slash ritual healing properties throughout the ages, wherever they grew. And they very much grew in the British Isles, you know, which is like why I so badly wanted to have this oil with me and to photograph it there at these places. The scent opens chambers of ancient memory while the plant molecules deeply penetrate the tissues, bringing profound relaxation and nourishment. Use it in remembrance of our elemental interbeing with the cosmos that birthed us. So yeah, I had even written out a newsletter before the trip um, that published the day of our sacred sites tour uh, about the cosmic convergence like you know we set it up to be listed in the shop that day and I had I just had this whole plan about how this oil would be with me that day and it wasn't but it turned out so well anyway um that's also in the shop so the next day we went to Westminster Abbey which is just inc- again the architecture overwhelmingly beautiful so fantastic I can't even believe places like that exist Um, It's about 800 years old. Great episode on Neil Oliver's podcast all about it and the um, Tomb of the Unknown Warrior, which was really touching. So it's all, you know, kings and queens and dukes and duchesses and lords and ladies and Charles Darwin and people like that who are buried or enshrined there. Some people, their bodies aren't there, but they do have a shrine there ornate art, gorgeous sculpture. Like it's it's a crazy place. And there are hundreds of people who are either buried there or have shrines to them there. It's really overwhelming actually. Again, not nearly enough time to like take it all in and read all the plaques. Um, but the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior, which I, I learned about in Neil Oliver's podcast. So during World War I, so many young men were lost. And at some point in the years afterwards, someone had the idea and their policy then was to leave the dead where they lay. So none of the families got the bodies of their loved ones back. And so it was decided that one body would be exhumed from one of the battlefields brought to Westminster Abbey and laid to rest there with great ceremony, but that that person would always remain anonymous so that everyone who had lost a loved one during World War I could think maybe that's our man at Westminster Abbey. Maybe that's our father. Maybe that's our son, brother, uncle, husband at Westminster Abbey. And I I think it's the most special tomb there. And I think most people do too. It's very moving to see it. Very beautiful. Um, Just an overwhelming place, an overwhelming, gorgeous place. Architecture, insane. Oh, there's also the oldest door in Britain at Westminster Abbey, we didn't see it. I forget, it's like seven or 800 years old, but you can see it. Um, I forgot about it while we were there. And again, my traveling partner was a few steps ahead of me, ready to leave at a certain point. So we kind of ended up exiting through this random um, exit out of the like courtyard outside Westminster Abbey. And we found ourselves on this like quiet street, which was crazy because in front of Westminster Abbey on the other side, it had been nuts, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people and streets so crowded and it was just beautiful and peaceful. And we were like, wow, (laughs) well, this feels nice. Um, And we looked up like food, food around me on our phones. And so there was an Indian place nearby and we, we could smell it, but we could not see it. 
where it said it was, was a library. I finally asked someone, let me say here too, that just asking strangers for help when you're traveling, especially in huge cities, is the only way you're ever going to get anywhere that you want to go. Saved our asses so many times. And the guy was like, no, that's it. The library is actually it. And we we're like, oh, okay. So we walk in and sure enough, it, it's it. There's no signage outside at all saying that this is an Indian restaurant. Um, we get seated and we're like realizing as we're being taken to our seats that this is a fancy place. It is men in business suits, older, rich British couples, and they're like pearls and nice clothes. And we're like, oh my God, we look like the grubbiest American tourists that we are right now. But they sat us and we're like, okay, <laughs> you know, like just looking at each other, looking around. So it's called the Cinnamon Club. It is fine Indian dining. Um, it was incredible. It was some of the best food I've ever had. We ordered a chai and a mango lassi as soon as we sat down and they brought it to us and we each took one and took a sip and our eyes just like locked, you know, like, oh my God, try this, try this. And then the food was just as good too. And it was really fun. You know, I was like, this, this is what is awesome about travel is spontaneous, unplanned experiences like this where you're totally out of your element and yet you're being absolutely delighted so that was really fun the cinnamon club and after that we went back to the hotel at this point we're leaving the next day for scotland and our luggage is sure not there yet so we're like okay we need to actually go buy suitcases way more clothes because it was gonna be very cold in the highlands it was like in the 90s in london um you know and just the rest of the shit that we need so we had to do that and then it was time to go to the warner brothers harry potter studio tour which is a little outside of london and i had booked it i had booked like the last possible opening thank you so much to the person who recommended this by the way um we barely made it there in time i shouldn't have booked the last one of the day although we did end up needing all that time earlier but barely made it barely made it again just asking strangers like where is this train station They're like oh no this is the underground you got to run underground right now it's leaving in five minutes you know don't forget to check the platforms we're like ah running down there the underground at rush hour was insane like oh my god just all the people packed in there like you know just every time you think like no more people can fit on this subway 15 more people would come on at the next stop we were just like oh my god get me out of here um got there just in time before the last shuttle to the studios took off and then got to the actual studio minutes before the final tour started i'm so glad it all worked out because it ended up being incredible so when my daughter was seven she started asking me if we could read the harry potter books and i was like mm, no i think you need to be a little older you know i think those are kind of like they're dark and she begged and begged and begged and finally i gave it she wanted to read them so badly finally i gave in and we spent the next few years reading those books um and then at some point i think after the third or fourth book we start watching the films too but you know we would only watch the film after we'd finished the book such a major part of of our lives together especially during the years that we lived alone which we both really miss so much of this trip actually was just trying to reclaim some alone time with her because we had so much alone time for so long before her little sister was born right after she turned 10. Um, and, you know, like my main memory with Harry Potter is that, so my mom died in November 2015 in a car accident. I have a past episode on that. If you want to hear that whole story, she's the best mom ever. And on on March 10th of 2016, which was her first birthday since she had passed on, we finished the books. And I mean, I'm just going to tell you one of the things that happens at the end, if you, spoiler alert, um, you know, there's that scene where James and Lily and Sirius and Remus come, come back to Harry with the resurrection stone. Oh, God. And I forget what Harry asks, but like, you know, where have you been or, or something like that. And his mother, Lily says, we never left. We never left. And I was just crying so hard after reading that on her birthday, you know, and then finishing the book a few pages later or whatever. And just if it was such a closing of a chapter 
in me and my daughter's life together reading those books for all those years and then watching the films which of course we just fell in love with and the books and the films they're all so magical it's such a rich rich world that she built with so much meaning for so many people so when you get there you first watch just a short film about the making of the films and i was doing what i'm doing i was just crying remembering those years with her remembering that day my mom's birthday when i read those words from lily reminding me you know that our, our loved ones don't leave us when they die so if you're a harry potter fan <laughs> the films especially these are the actual studios where the films were filmed and it's so incredible to be there. So there's the actual sets, like there's um, there's Diagon Alley, there's the Great Hall and Gringotts, which was our favorite. And then there's just all sorts of displays and videos and Dumbledore's office. <laughs> and, um, it takes hours, it takes hours to go through, but it was, we loved it. We absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. I do have a whole post about this too. Um, it was just, it was so meaningful and beautiful and well done and magical. It was super magical to be there. I would absolutely go back there again too. The next day we had to get up early and take the speed train to Edinburgh. Um, okay, at this point though, the night before we had, so I had been checking a British Airlines website constantly updates on our luggage and the night before something had finally changed and it said that our luggage was on its way from phoenix so we're like okay it exists you know the luggage is out there maybe we could even get it in the morning before heading to edinburgh and have our stuff with us even though we just bought new suitcases <laughs> much smaller suitcases um but it just it didn't turn out that way you know it takes whatever days to process and everything um so we took the speed train up to edinburgh and it's like four and a half hours and we weren't able to sit together and but i ended up um chatting my seatmate for like the last hour he was a really sweet british guy and it was just incredible incredible seeing the landscape go by just again beautiful old buildings and then when the north sea came into view i was like i've never seen the north sea before and then he helped me like know when we had passed into scotland and it was really cool and we got off the train at waverly station and like went up a bunch of stairs we were really grateful we didn't have our bigger suitcases with us because there's like a crush of people trying to get up a lot of stairs really quickly and once we came up onto street level i was just like oh, where are we edinburgh is magical beautiful i don't like cities you might know this about me i really didn't like london except for i did like the things there but i love Edinburgh. I think I could live there. I think it might be the only city I could live in. Um, again, I had tears in my eyes walking down the street towards our hotel. We had just one night in a hotel room because we were leaving for the Scottish Highlands tour the next morning at 9 a.m. So I had just booked a room really close to our departure point. Um, yeah, we just, there was like a little mall basically near our place. So we went and we had some dinner there, like one Mexican place and um, we were looking for warmer clothes because London didn't really have any warm clothes. You know, it was high summer, 90 degrees, got a few warmer things. She wanted to watch TV every night <laughs> at every place we stayed. So I got to know Bob's Burgers on this trip, which I fucking love. I wasn't as impressed with Family Guy, but I love Bob's Burgers. Um, and then got up the next morning for the Highlands. We still hadn't gotten jackets that we had brought our like warm ass winter jackets with us and our checked baggage but we hadn't been able to find those in edinburgh either and we took off um our highlands tour got messed up too so this was a whole another like monkey wrench thrown into these travels so it was a small group tour which i really recommend doing if you do any any sort of tours always go for the small group it's better you're especially the highlands because our bus could go down roads there was like huge like tour bus you know buses they couldn't do the things we could do and there was a lot of places where parking lots were super full because again august and they couldn't pull in they couldn't find a parking spot so the people like didn't get to see the thing that they had gone to see so i really recommend the smaller buses so it was me and my daughter two sisters from switzerland who are lovely they're both english teachers and then eight young men from singapore who 
are studying aerospace engineering and um, were about to study in Glasgow for a little bit and decided they're like on an exchange, decided they wanted to see the Highlands first. They were super sweet, but I found out later what happened is when they booked it somehow glitched their system, but no one realized it until the night before. And they had given our tour guide, Alan, the option of just dealing with that and everyone getting new accommodations. So we didn't end up doing what was promised at all on the website when we booked or telling the eight Singaporeans that they couldn't come. And Alan chose to bring the boys and, you know, we'd all just deal with the tour being different. And everyone was fine with that. You know, it was really cool. Everyone was like, you know, we're here, let's just go. Alan was great. They ended up refunding a third of the price, which was awesome. But it kind of sucked too, because we did a lot of extra driving. I heard Alan tell another tour guide at Glencoe on the last day that he thinks we drove 500 extra miles in five days, which sucks because like that time would have just been spent being places and walking around rather than backtracking because we're supposed to stay in Ullapool tonight, but instead we're staying in Inverness. And then we were supposed to stay on the Isle of Skye, which would have been amazing, but instead we stayed in Strathpeffer. Um, but we still got to see Skye for a few hours. <laughs> but it was amazing. Totally go to the Isle of Skye if you can. It's just the most beautiful, beautiful place ever. Um, but because of all the extra driving, it was cold and windy and rainy, which it's the Highlands, so that's how it is. Um, we would just like be on the bus, seeing beautiful things, jump out for 10 minutes to take photos and get back on the bus. Like I didn't get to relax into the Highlands really at all. Um, one cool extra thing we got to do because because of everything getting messed up, we had a few extra hours on the first day and Alan, our tour guide, just knows everything. So he's like, we're, we're going to this, I'm going to take you to a special place. And as we're getting closer, I'm like, oh my God, I know where he's taking us. Because on the train ride home from the Harry Potter studios, two nights before, I had been reading this little book I got at Avebury about rock art, Neolithic rock art. And there was this thing about clavicairns. And I just, I was like, oh my God, we're going to clavicairns. And we did. So another Neolithic site um, of these giant tombs basically i mean they're not as big as west kennet long bear and they're not in the earth like that they're very different you can look it up but also there's this split rock there that um diana gableden took her inspiration from that place and that's where claire goes through the rock in outlander i guess it's different in the series but i've only read the books um and it's very close to the battlefield at culloden which we drove by but didn't go to I would love to go to Culloden in the future. Sounds like a really powerful place. Uh, but there's there's rock art at Clavicairns. So it was really cool. I was super happy that we made this detour and got to see it. And it's another one of those places too that would have been inaccessible if we had been in a bigger bus. Um, so, I mean, you know, when it comes to the Highlands, I don't, we saw so many places every day and I don't remember most of their names. The highlights were absolutely the Isle of Skye. Inverness was a cool town, cool city. It's one of the fastest growing cities in Europe. And yeah, we enjoyed being in Inverness the, the couple of evenings we were there. Um, Glencoe was the other highlight of the Highlands for me. So beautiful. Sky and Glencoe, they have to be two of the most beautiful places in the world. We also got to see Loch Ness from the north, which is just beyond gorgeous. It is such a special place. And then of course, you know, all the all the Nessie Loch Ness monster um, tourist shops and stuff like that were kind of silly and fun. Oh, the food was so good in the Highlands. People told us that too, because we didn't really eat good food in London except for the Cinnamon Club. Um, it, you know, wasn't the focus of our trip. We were just like eating to fuel ourselves to go to the next thing. But people had said like the Highlands food will be so good. It's fresh and local. And for the most part, it was. Um, we did find, you know, warm rain jackets on that first day, which were very helpful and all the coffees and like scones you know we were really just like going for it treating ourselves <laughs> we were tired too we drank a lot of coffee she got into lattes and i rediscovered my love for cappuccinos um she's she's off the caffeine now that we're back home um what was i gonna say glencoe gorgeous the story of the massacre that happened there is really horrific 
you can look that up if you want. You know, the story of the Highlands clearances is awful. It's just, there's definitely such a gorgeous place with like a really painful history. I have Highlands ancestry. I have people who had to leave, you know, who fled to the States. Um, and then we came back home. I, I feel like I'm not doing the Highlands justice, but it's such a whirlwind in my mind. Another place, again, I would love to go back to spend more time deepen into the landscape, but I don't know how I'm going to do that because I'm not going to drive myself. Um, so then we came back and we had two more nights in Edinburgh. I was so glad. I was so looking forward to it after just how much overwhelming connection I felt to the place that first night. Um, this time we had an Airbnb and it was at one grass market. If you've ever been there, you know that grass market is a like major central point, and especially during August, because little did I know when I booked that August is festival season in Edinburgh. There's Fringe Festival, there's the International uh, Festival, and there's other smaller ones too. There's like a book festival. So it was so crowded and we're, we're, we're at one grass market. So we're like at the heart of it. Um, the castle was right above where we stayed. And from our window, we could see the entire grass market street all the people all the street performers all the shops all the restaurants all the pubs thousands of people were out there and usually i would be like what the fuck? there's too many people out my window how can i sleep this is awful i loved it i loved it the energy of edinburgh was so good um the first i was just, i was just thrilled to be back i just was floating on air i really want to go back to that city with an adult with someone who's more my pace and just kind of see see where it takes us you know just go out and see where we get taken um my daughter was pretty tired at this point in the trip she was ready to see her friends again so our first full day there i did a walking tour of it's called like harry potter original sites i think she opted out at that point but it was really i knew it'd just be a good way for me to get to see more of the city on foot and um you know jk rowling wrote the first book there and we saw the cafe where she wrote it we saw other sites like the cemetery was really cool um the street that's thought to be the inspiration for diagon alley which is really beautiful and colorful and lots of neat shops it was cool. I liked that tour a lot. Again, that was booked through Viator. Um, the Highlands tour was through Rabies, R-A-B-B-I-E-S. And I, I so recommend them. You know, they did the very best they could with the fact that everything got glitched out. They refunded a third of our price. Alan was an amazing tour guide. Just so worth it to, to I would go with Rabies again in a second, even though everything happened the way it did. So we only had one full day in Edinburgh because the next day it was speed train back to London to fly home the next day. Um, I had gotten up early and just walked around the neighborhood, gotten some croissants and coffees for us and uh, hit up two used bookstores. It's really fun. There was one bookstore with a real dead, of course, water buffalo head displayed. <laughs> I had a good time talking to, to the guy working there. I just, I'm, I'm just like walking through these super crowded city streets by myself with like a giant smile pasted on my face. Amazing vintage shop on Grass Market. I got the cutest red dress. There's a picture of me in it looking up at the castle on Instagram. Um, and then that night, my daughter said that this was her, her trip highlight was what we did that night. And thank you to the person who recommended this to me. We dined at the witchery. The Witchery is a restaurant and hotel. You should seriously look up the rooms in this place. They are ornate, like dripping red velvet gorgeousness. Um, the Witchery is right next to the castle. And we had gotten like the last reservation, 945. I, mean, I booked it like a month in advance. Um, it's a really cool place, really beautiful beautiful place, high quality, expensive food. She's definitely a foodie, my daughter. And so she loved the food and was just kind of, you know, really happy with the ambiance and the whole situation. Um, so the witchery was really special and was kind of a perfect last hurrah on the trip. Ornate, delicious beauty. 
up early the next morning back on the speed train again we didn't get to sit next to each other because we actually had seats next to each other but it all got messed up because the previous train had been canceled it was kind of awful it was like people just wanting seats and not getting them and we got the last two and anyway the trains were not my my favorite part of this trip at all but you know quick access between these two major cities so we got back and we had um, just booked a hotel room at Heathrow Airport because our flight was early the next morning. And what had happened when our luggage finally arrived is I asked if they could deliver it to the hotel and they said yes. And so we were like just praying it was there, you know, and that it had all really happened. And it was. We were reunited with our luggage at the hotel lobby. And, you know, at that point it felt like so excessive the amount of things we had packed to bring and again the new suitcases we bought for the highlands were like half the size and they were so much more convenient um you know now now i understand i understand why people don't check baggage on big trips like this so many people of course wrote and commented about their lost baggage woes and how they never check baggage anymore um and you know i like a lot of what I had brought, I had done some stories the day before we left of what I was packing. And I'm like, here's my heating pad and my castor oil pack and my, um, you know, mini foam roller. And it's all like self-care things to calm my nervous system down at the end of the day and help me sleep. I tend to not sleep well away from home. But I did on this trip, probably because I was walking so much every day. And also because I was away from my little one who still keeps me up at night a lot although she's actually gotten so much better recently. Thank God, right? Because she's about to turn six. Um, I really do wish I had had any sort of herbal body oil with me that could have made such a difference. But the fact that I had that magnesium lotion really, really did help. I would have loved to have my clothes with me. You know, we spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars replacing suitcases, clothes, um, toiletries, and phone chargers. Um, I did file, I did file a thing to try to get our money back recently, but I haven't heard anything, but yeah, just being reunited with our stuff was kind of a trip. You know, we were both like, oh, I could have done without this. I could have done without this. I don't know what I would do in the future. I don't know if I'll check baggage again. You know, another thing that happened right after we landed and we would tell people about our lost luggage, they're like, oh, did you see that BBC piece from a couple days ago? We were like, no, everyone was telling us that the BBC had just ran this piece about how Heathrow was a mess and like good luck if your luggage is lost ever getting it back from Heathrow they interviewed uh, a guy who works like in the luggage department saying he was quote petrified to travel right now um through Heathrow because of it so we were just like oh my god what if we never get our stuff back like you know I had jewelry in there that was like very meaningful to me and you know, just my clothes, like my clothes that I wear every day, but we did get it back. And so, you know, kind of had a happy ending. Like it was hard, but it worked out and it definitely did teach me what I need and what I don't need. And basically that my body is like a lot more resilient than I think it is. I had carefully put all my supplements into those little pill thingies and, you know, was worried like, would I be, how is my food, how's my body going to react to like all these food eating out with like you know the seed oils and the things I don't usually eat at home um it was fine my body was fine everything was fine I just learned that I'm a lot more resilient than I think I am and even though I do have a highly sensitive nervous system I'm also like a well resourced strong person I've been taking care of myself really well for a long time now and everything was fine i don't i don't need the items and the objects that i think i need um you know since getting back i've actually been just going through and getting rid of a bunch of shit in my house like i feel like it was it was a good lesson in the end i don't know if i wish it would or wouldn't have happened it would have been hard to have these big suitcases with us again like through train stations and i'm not even sure they would have fit in the shuttle and the highlands tour (laughs) because our everyone's stuff was barely fitting in the back anyway yeah i don't know it worked out the way it did um it flew out the next morning without any issues had a long layover at jfk 
originally I'd been like, oh my gosh, I've never been to New York City. We'll go to Manhattan. Uh, but then I read like this pilot has this blog and he was saying that's, you know, actually be pretty stressful because it's an hour away. So we ended up going to a beach in Queens. Oh, I'm forgetting what it was called, but it was lovely. It was perfect. You know, even though we had like suitcases with us, our small ones that we had bought that we flew back home with us um, as carry-ons. And we didn't have like bathing suits or any beach clothes, but I just took off my shoes and walked along the beach for about an hour listening to music. And it was really, really awesome. That was another, another cool thing that happened to me on this trip, especially in Edinburgh. Started in the Highlands and then in Edinburgh because we we're spending so much time on the bus is I got out my, my earbuds that I had brought and just started listening to music. Like, you know, like most people, music has been a major part of my life since childhood. Um, but since becoming a mom 16 years ago and then having the little one, especially six years ago, just your time to listen to music is really limited. And I almost never listen to earbuds. I, you know, if you live in the city and you're taking public transport or walking a lot, it makes sense. But I live rurally. I drive everywhere in my car, listen to music in my car, but not like through my phone on earbuds. And I started doing that a lot on the Highlands tour and then walking around Edinburgh. And I loved it. Oh my gosh. Most of you probably know it's like the best feeling. Kind of had this like 90s Brit pop revival and I was listening to Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis and um, Karma Police. Oh my God. I loved that song back in the day by Radiohead and Glycerine by Bush. <laughs> just kind of just remember it was like recapturing a part of myself. You know, it really was. It was really meaningful and beautiful and fun to do that. Um, so I was listening to music walking on on the beach there in Queens, and then we ate at this amazing restaurant called Uma's in Queens. So the best borscht I've ever had in my life. It felt super nourishing after flying to you know ground into the earth, have my bare feet on the beach, touching the ocean, and then eat this really good meal. Flight was delayed. Flight to Sacramento sucked. Got home super late, so tired. But then we were home, and it was so nice and crawled into bed next to Nixie. And when she woke up the next morning, I, she reached over and felt me and was like, mama, you know, we just hugged and it felt so good. It took probably about a week and a half to not feel super tired anymore. And same for Owen, you know, cause my husband, he'd just been holding it down here with a really lively kid for those two weeks. Um, but they did great. She did so well. I was so worried about her. She was absolutely fine and she grew up so much and it feels like we're all in a new place. You know, my oldest turned 16, got herself a job, <laughs> um, is trying to go on independent study and graduate a year early. It just, I don't know, it feels like we all grew and that, you know, that is, I guess what happens with travel is you grow. So I, I hope to go back, you know, it's interesting because now that I'm like, oh, we have passports, <laughs> travel is an option. Um, and there's so many places in the world I could go and that I would love to go. I just can't stop thinking about going back and seeing the things that we didn't see that I would want to see, like Orkney and Bath and Dartmoor and plenty of other places, including Ireland and the Isle of Man. Owen and I both have a lot of ancestry in Ireland and I have it in the Isle of Man. So, you know, I think it's really possible that we're just going to return to Britain over and over. Oh, one more thing I want to say too about why I call it Britain instead of the UK. I call it the UK sometimes, but like the United Kingdom is a, you know, geopolitical term. It's a geopolitical designation. It's England and Scotland fought forever back and forth who's controlling who are we one are we two um and then you, know, you bring wales and like northern ireland and it's just all this geopolitical nonsense but britain is an ancient name britain is at least a thousand years old if not more the romans called it britannia um you know and they first occupied around 1000 uh no 2000 right right was it like right at the at the bc oh my gosh if you haven't read the boudicca series by amanda scott i've talked about before talked about on the episode with um with sharon blackie so many of you have read it after after my recommendation and sharon is the person who i first heard about it from the boudicca series is so so special you know about pre-roman 
tribal peoples in um in in the british isles it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful so britain is an ancient name and i just you know it it it's the land britain is the land the uk is the geopolitical divide and the people okay so yeah julius caesar invaded britain in 55 so yeah that the name is at least 2000 years old obviously it's going to go back way farther than that um you know i feel like i could probably fall in love with any any land and any people in the world <laughs> there's so many incredible ones but the british isles really do archaeologically geologically anthropologically historically it's it's a very rich landscape and a very rich history of people there um neil oliver's podcast again just blew my mind i love him like i love him as a person he's one of the best people so loving kind focused on storytelling focused on connecting with the ancient past and the ancestors a really really special person so i think that's it if you're still here thank you for listening i really wanted to speak it out before before it fades you know um both of the products the kinship woven in deep time earth essence and the cosmic convergence saint john's wort and mugwort herbal body oil are in our shop mythicmedicine.love there will be a link in the show notes again photos at my instagram account at mythic medicine and you know watching other people's journeys especially asia suler we talked about this in the most recent episode 93 watching her ancestral journey to the british isles years ago really it just it was just one of those moments of like the mind turning a little bit and opening to a possibility for myself in the future and it happened i still can't believe it happened i kept saying i can't believe we're going to take this trip soon and now i'm like i can't believe we did take that trip um it changed me in ways i'm sure i don't even understand yet and i can't wait to go back and learn more if you have any recommendations go ahead and send them my way oh i also wanted to say i put a survey in the show notes it's just five questions for podcast listeners please if you have the time so quick um just yes or no you know or multiple choice questions with the option to type in a little bit if you want i'm basically trying to figure out i put so much time into the show notes for this podcast and so much time and money into the graphic design that i only put in instagram stories i'm trying to figure out if it's worth my time to continue doing that because in the many 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 hours i take doing that i could just conduct more interviews or record more solo episodes like this like if you think about what's the number one podcast uh joe rogan what does he do sits down with people and that's the extent of the work he does (laughs) there's no show notes um there's not even a title to the episode right it's just the person's name that he's interviewing so he does like just minimal production work and i know he has people that do his production work but i do so much production work on my end and that i like it it's like it works for me you know i'm i'm here to like share information i want things to feel accessible to people but if people don't really care about that stuff i could put out more episodes by not doing it so i'm open either way and i realize i just need to know what my listeners think do they care about the show notes and all the resources or do they just tune into the audio and not even look at that stuff you know so okay the um link to that survey will be down in the show notes i don't know if i'm going to keep it up indefinitely or just for the time being but it's there for now thank you for listening send me any more recommendations you have for sacred sites of the uk or you know just any travel place that's really touched you perhaps all right i'll see you guys for the next episode which is going to be a really good interview